love the name of Jesus. Amen. There's no other name that we can be saved by, healed by, challenged by. Thought that was a whistle. It's like, yeah, Jesus, that's right. Awesome. Wow. Hot mic. A little feedback. Good morning. It's really good to be back with you guys worshiping. Um, last Sunday, as you may know, uh, Eric and Shelly and I were at uh, Gage and Grace's wedding. Uh, it was a beautiful wedding. Hope you got to see some pictures online if you're friends or connected on Facebook with them. I got to officiate. It's, uh, yeah, second one in 24 years. Apparently, only my spiritual children want anything to do with me when it comes to their <laughs> most important moments of their life, so it's fine. It's okay. My heart's all right. <laughs> uh, actually, I'm fine with Eric doing all of that stuff, <laughs> but I love Gage and Grace and uh, just two beautiful young people that are passionate for Jesus. I'm just thankful to God for passionate young people in this church and people, young people who are outside of our church that are part of the family. It's a beautiful thing and I just celebrate them and I hope you guys are praying for them. You know how it is when you first start out. You know, the honeymoon is fun and then real life sets in and eventually. So we just need to keep all, all our young people in prayer and our young married people or old married people. <laughs> all the old people <laughs> I'm becoming one I'm not there yet I, I'm, I just in my head I'm, I'm not going to accept it but it was a relaxing time and you know I just I want you guys to know that I did not worry about a thing last Sunday while we were gone I love that we have so many capable people who can lead and can carry on without us. Yes. I mean, really, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's not a lot of churches that could do that or say that, you know, where all their paid staff, all their professional Christians are gone. <laughs> you know how on Facebook they say, describe your job without using, you know, I'm a professional Christian. That's what I <laughs> And I just want you to know that since you guys did so well without us, I am going to take this moment to announce my retirement. <laughs> That's right. I'm leaving the ministry, and I'm finally pursuing my dream of becoming a hand model. <laughs> All right? See? Some of you are already swooning over my elegant and sophisticated hand gesticulations. <laughs> this remote is sleek in design. No, seriously though, thank you guys. Thanks Jeff for preaching that great word. It was good and I appreciate Mike and our worship team and for leading worship. Thanks to Alger and everyone else are so faithful and dependable to carry on without us. It's, it's just great. I, I literally didn't think about you guys even one time. <laughs> it, was just, it was just such a beautiful moment. No, but thank you guys. You're awesome. So today, um, what I would like to do is I want to talk about hope. I want to talk about a living hope. Everyone say a living hope. So there's a guy that I like to read and follow. His name is Steve Backlin. Some of you probably know him. He uh, leads a ministry called Igniting Hope Ministries, and I love his definition of hope. He defines hope as the belief that the future will be better than the present, and I have power to help make it so. 
I love another definition he, he throws out there. He says, hope is the overall optimistic attitude about the future based on the goodness and the promises of God. Amen? He also says uh, stuff like, there are no hopeless circumstances, only hopeless people. And if something is going to change, someone has to have hope. Because the person with the most hope has the most influence, right? And we know that hope is important, not just because Steve said it, not because he has some great thoughts about it. The Bible says these things, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13, it says, Now these three remain, faith, hope, everyone say hope, hope. and love, but the greatest is love. Hope is one of the big three. And you know, if we think back to Eric's message, we tie it back to Eric's message about our beliefs, hope has everything to do with what we believe. If we do not believe that things will be better, then we will have little or no hope. And you know, faith and hope are different. Faith is specific, while hope is general. Faith says to, like, say, uh, the mountain of coronavirus, you know, be cast into the sea. Like, specifically, you, get, go, you're done. Hope says that even if that doesn't happen, we are going to thrive. See, faith says, I'm going to get married by a certain date or by a certain age. Hope says, even if I don't get married, I'm going to thrive. Faith says that I am going to live this specific prophetic promise and I'm going to do these specific prophetic callings in my life. But hope says, even if those things don't come to pass in my life, I am going to thrive. You can be a faith person and yet have no hope. That's just weird. See, if we are a faith person without hope, we get devastated when things don't happen the way we believe they should. You see, hope, hope is supposed to be like a safety net for when what we believe for in faith does not happen. If we have faith without hope, then guess what? We have limited options. But you see, people with a lot of hope, they have a whole bunch of options. Anything good could happen. And you know, hope is really, it's a sign actually of emotional health. And it's a sign of a prosperous soul. Like we read in 3 John verse 2, it says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. You see, when we have a prosperous soul, we believe that the future is going to be better than the present. When we have a wounded soul, we tend to see the future as never changing or possibly getting worse. I remember um, seven years ago, I was in a pretty hopeless place in my life. I was really hopeless about my life. I was hopeless about my calling, hopeless about my church, my leadership, my musicianship. I was in a hopeless place. And it was because I couldn't see anything changing or getting better. In fact, it was 
when I broke down in a staff meeting with Eric um, that I was strongly encouraged to take a three-month sabbatical. (laughs) I know what hopelessness feels like. We all know what hopelessness feels like. And we really don't have to look very hard to see multiple areas and multiple things in our nation, in our culture, that if we look long and hard enough at it, it is going to create some hopelessness. You know, whether you're a pro-vaccine person or an anti-vaccine person, the situation can look pretty hopeless if you really think about it. You know, no matter what side of a social issue you are on, we are all susceptible to hopelessness. When it comes to our Christian freedoms and the lack of godly leaders in our nation, it can feel really hopeless. And sometimes when I think about cancel culture and with it, and maybe, and I want you to think about this, with cancel culture, with it comes the elimination of opportunities for grace, for mercy, for forgiveness, transformation, and second chances. When we see cancel culture coming at us for everything and there's no second chances, there's no, no growth possible. You can't transform. We're sorry. You, you are who you were as a teenager, you know, 20 years ago or a dumb 20-year-old when you're in college. There's no growth, no second chances. That feels hopeless. And I believe that there is no better time than right now for us to grow and increase our hope level. Does anyone else believe that? You know, this past week's reading assignment, I believe, really hits the mark on hope. And if you're new to our church, uh, one thing we are, we've been doing now for months and months as a church family is that we are, we've created a a reading plan that the whole church, we're asking everyone to read this reading plan. It's a very simple and easy reading plan, um, but we've asked everyone in our church to please read this reading plan to, so that we can go together and then we can discuss it and, and grow in it and practice what we're reading as families in our discipleship groups. Dads, again, I'm going to encourage you Call your families together and do the word of God. Dads, I'm asking you, please, 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 I'm begging you. Call your families together and let's read the word of God and study it and understand it and then live it out. And so this, we're on this reading plan and, uh, and if you want a reading plan, they're out at the Welcome Center um, if they're not there, you can see one of these two guys, Jeff or Alex Fulton, Jeff Hughes. I don't know if either of them are actually here today, but uh, if you need a reading plan, come see someone. We will get you uh, one of those. But this past week, last week, we read First Peter chapters one and two. And so today I want to focus on a very a specific uh, group of scriptures, and I want to talk about what this living hope is. And before I launch into the text, though, let me, I want to give you guys some background information on this letter by Peter. And so this letter, 1 Peter, it's uh, named for its author, the Apostle Peter, right? Now, one thing interesting that you will pick up as you get to the end of the letter is that it was not written by Peter uh, alone, in fact, he had some help from another apostle named Silas, who's also, some translations uh, translate his name as Silvanus. Um, but in 1 Peter 5.12, we, 
we see that Peter says here, says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. And again, like in the ESV, he's translated as Silvanus. So Silas, Silvanus, the same guy. This is the apostle who traveled a bunch with Paul and Timothy. Paul talks about, you know, Silas and Timothy. Um, Silas gets mentioned actually in Acts 15.22. He's mentioned in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. He's mentioned again in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, and 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. So Peter had some help actually writing this letter. Uh, something else we know is we know that Peter was in Rome when he and Silas wrote this due to the remarks he uh, gives us here in verse 13. He says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, as, and so does Mark, my son. Now, one thing you have to understand is that Babylon is a code word used for Rome. At the time of this writing, uh, which was right around A.D. 62-63, the name Babylon was actually used to describe any evil and corrupt nation or empire. And so Rome, for the Christians, was Babylon to them, right? And many times Christians, uh, they referred to Rome as Babylon for as a code word so that they maybe wouldn't get in trouble when they were talking bad about Rome. So, so Babylon is really just a code word. Peter's in Rome. He's in Rome with Silas. And he's writing this letter to Christians who are spread out or dispersed throughout northern Asia Minor, which we know is modern-day Turkey, right? We know in verse 1, now, Peter is he's greeting them. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And you can see those all along the north there in Turkey, uh, Asia, Bithynia, you know, Galatia, all those. That's that northern part of Asia, Asia Minor or Turkey is who he's addressing um, these, this letter too. And all of those places, uh, Asia, all of them, Pontus, all of those places, they are all Roman provinces, which is not good for Christians at this time. So Peter, he's writing to Christians who were experiencing various forms of persecution. He was writing to men and women who stand for Christ made them enemies of the state. And so they were treated like aliens and strangers in the midst of this very pagan society. And Peter is writing this letter and he's encouraging these Christians to faithfully endure the suffering that you are going through. And he calls them to be a model of what Christ-like behavior should be as you endure, as you suffer for the name of Jesus. And so it is because of this very letter that Peter is actually known as the Apostle of Hope. Do you know that? He's actually considered the Apostle of Hope. And hope is definitely what these Christians needed because they were suffering. And so this letter is really, it's an amazing letter on how Christians should live and conduct themselves when society or government abuses them. You know, some of you, you may remember my message back on Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Remember when I, we talked about living a life worthy of the gospel? Well, do you remember when I talked in that message, I talked about a theology of suffering. Wasn't that fun? 
Everybody's whooping and hollering and amen, and you got to go online and watch that message. It was people were running laps around the room. I can suffer for Jesus. Well, when I was talking about the theology of suffering, I shared that there were two major graces that every one of us have been given as Christians. Every one of us as Christians have been given, number one, the grace to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, to receive Him and to become His very own. And the second grace that we have been given is the grace to suffer. To suffer for living our lives for Jesus. Well, this letter, 1 Peter, really really hits the issue of suffering. I want you to just listen how many times Peter in this letter actually talks about suffering. Chapter 2, verse 19, for this is a gracious thing. There it is, grace. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But when you do good and suffer, for it you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps." Chapter 3, verse 14, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, the pagans of your society, nor be troubled. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Verse 19, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I exhort the elders among you as dear fellow elders and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then finally he says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's suffering he's talking to these people about. Peter knows what his brothers and sisters are going through. He knows what they're experiencing. And so he's encouraging, he, he wants to encourage them, he, he, these Christians. He, he, he talks to Christian servants. And he tells them, he says, endure when you face abuse and cruel masters. He exhorts Christian wives to live from their heart and the core of who Jesus made them to be and to endure unbelieving husbands. Peter sees his fellow Christians who are abused by the government, their masters, even their spouses sometimes. And his message to them is they have a living hope. And therefore live like someone who has hope.
And so this very encouraging and practical letter is just as relevant today as it was to these Christians 2,000 years ago. This letter is supposed to be a a source of encouragement for us when we live in conflict with our culture. Now, there's a lot of similarities that we can pull from our lives and the lives of these Christians that Peter is writing to. But I want to make clear how we are not similar to them. Remember the definition I gave on what constitutes biblical suffering. Biblical suffering is only suffering that comes as a direct result of living the Christian life. There are so many things that cause us pain, discomfort, and sadness. But biblical suffering is when we suffer directly for living as a Christian. And that is where first century Christians are not similar to us. We live in the West. We live in the Western world where there are actually laws that guarantee our right to worship as we please. We have freedom to gather and worship. We, as people, can share our faith and evangelize other people. We can pray anywhere for anything to any God that we want. Our government is not killing Christians. Our children are not being stolen because they're in a Christian family. Honestly, we barely experience any pain at all. Other than the pain of falling out of favor in our nation. The Christians in these Roman provinces literally were being killed for their faith. Christian servants were beaten and starved because they followed Jesus. Christian women were beaten, spit upon, and sexually assaulted for their faith in Jesus. Christian men in these areas were tortured, had their genitals removed, set on fire, or fed to wild animals because they confessed Jesus. These early Christians lived in an environment that I would probably say is somewhat familiar to if you were, in a, if you were a Christian in Afghanistan. That's what Peter means when he speaks to these early Christians about suffering. I want us to have that context. We know nothing at all of this kind of suffering. Now, I'm not saying that we don't experience hard things in life, okay? Sickness, death of a loved one, loss of employment, loss of housing, loss of our health. These are all extremely painful moments. But I believe that what we call those things, we call those things trials. So, whether we are experiencing hardship and setbacks, or we are literally fearing for our lives because of our faith, the one thing we all need is hope to carry on. And that is just what Peter hits right off the bat here in chapter 1. So let's read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, once all our English majors get over the run-on sentence that this is, <laughs> there's a whole lot of great stuff here. <laughs> Gotta love the comma. You can just keep adding them, right? I, I love how Peter begins this letter. You know, before Peter does anything else, he pronounces a blessing on God. I mean, notice that he doesn't immediately write about difficult circumstances. I mean, there's going to be time for that. It's coming. Neither is he compelled to begin by telling them how to conduct themselves while living in an evil world. There'll be time for that, too. What he does is this. He calls upon his readers to make a decided and determined prayer of praise. You know, traditional Jewish prayers most often opened with this time-honored word, blessed or blessed. In particular, blessed be God. And so... Peter, in this text, he's calling on his early readers, wherever they may be, to stand and to praise God. And the subtle aim beneath uh, Peter's like, choice of words uh, is not lost on these people who are reading his letter. See, Peter knows that when they speak their words of blessing, they, and, and, and they make this this prayer of blessing in response to his call, he knows their hearts and minds are going to be transported across mountains and deserts that separate them from their spiritual homeland. And so this little word blessed alone, it had, when, when Peter says blessed, it had the strength to bring them in the spirit all the way back to Jerusalem to the temple. With one phrase, even a single word, Peter was able to gather these distant and scattered people on his wings, and in mutual prayer, he carries them all the way to the throne of heaven. I liken it to like when you or I were in a hopeless moment, and we hear a beloved worship song that just transports us straight into the presence of God. What an encouragement this introductory call must have been to Peter's first readers. And you know, they may have been scattered all over the place, remote, out-of-the-way places. What they have just had happen is they have been reminded that with this prayer of blessing, that they can stand in the presence of all that is dear to them. And so can we. When we bless God in Christ, we come home. We enter into God's very presence. And it can't just be right here can't just be once a week blessing god has got to mark yours and my life entering into his presence is paramount it's important to maintaining a life of hope in fact let's just stand up together I just want us to recite this prayer of blessing just like those early Christians did when they heard it. All right, we're just going to read this together and let's just, just 
Give it to the Lord. If you want to raise your hands, go for it. Let's just say it together. Ready? Go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for me, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Peter... He's drawing us in. He's reminding us of who our hope is in. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to grow in our living hope, we have to remember in whom our hope is in. Psalm 20 Verse 7 says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Listen, our hope will disappear if we try to put it in something else or someone else other than the Lord. Remember, it's not our government who has saved us. Right? It's not Trump. It ain't Biden. None of the systems or any of our freedoms of our nation have saved us. It's not your money. It's not your job. It's not your education. It's not the amount of information you can amass from the Internet. It's none of those things are worthy of our hope. It is only in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who we can hope in. And Peter is reminding us of whom we belong to. He's reminding us of who does all the heavy lifting in your life. If we're short on hope, my guess is that your eyes are on the wrong person or the wrong thing. And Peter, he not only reminds us whom our hope is in, but he also tells us why we should praise God and why he deserves our hope. He says in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter wants us to be absolutely crystal clear about one of the reasons we have to praise God. God has done something, and it's mercy. It's great mercy. Great mercy is the only explanation for the greatest thing that God has done. That great thing He has done is He has caused us to be born again. Say, I'm born again. I thank God for those who responded today to Tina's word of coming back to Jesus. I'm born again. That in itself should be enough to get us singing. And Peter wants to draw our focus on the result of this new birth that we've been given. The focus, the, the result of this mercy that God is born again, the result is hope. It's a living hope. Believers are reborn into a living hope. And the, the hope refers to our confident expectation of life to come. Living means that it grows and gains strength the more we learn about our Lord. You know, one of the most 
important ways to grow hope is to deal with the lies that we believe. You know, going back to seven years ago in my life, when I let my hope shrivel into nothing, I had some serious lies I had to deal with so that my hope could start to grow again. I'll even share some of those. Some of my lies were things like, I'm not important. My feelings don't count. No one cares how I feel. Nothing's ever going to change. I'll never get credit for what I do. Those were all lies that were stealing my hope. So what I had to do is I had to replace them. I had to replace them with things like, I am important because I belong to the Father and He cares for me. I had to replace it with, my feelings move God's heart. God says, I make all things new. Transformation really is God's thing. Our hope cannot be dependent on outward circumstances. Hope is supposed to be dynamic and vital. Hope, it looks forward in eager anticipation of what God will do. We have hope based on our conviction that God will keep His promises. Say that God will keep His promises. That's where our hope is based. We've got to carry that conviction. God will keep His promises. Even our hope in the ultimate promise of our future resurrection. That, the hope that we have on our future resurrection is based on the fact and the reality of Jesus' already resurrection. Our hope is living and alive because Jesus is alive. And by raising from the dead, Christ made all the necessary power available for our resurrection. In fact, Christ's resurrection makes us certain that we too will be raised from the dead. You know, there's a whole reason why Peter talks about this final. He keeps pointing them to the resurrection and the life to come. He does that because there's no guarantees. Like, you know, for us, things start going sideways, man. We need an, a, a, this thing fixed, like, right now. Like, I need to, I need, I got to get it off my chest. I got to speak my mind. You're going to say sorry. I'm going to forgive you. I mean, we, you know, got a flat tire. I'm going to get it fixed in 10 minutes or less. These early Christians, they didn't have any of those things, those assurances. We are born again from our sinful state into the life of grace, which will, in the end, become a life of glory. And so we shouldn't be discouraged by our earthly trials because we have resurrection to be our backup. Now listen, I, I'm not completely out of the woods when it comes to hope. It is still a battle for me, sometimes daily, to keep and grow my living hope. You know, I, sometimes I like to argue with God about it. You know, I'm like, God, like, like really, seriously, like, there are some really hopeless circumstances in my life. Right? Right? I mean, come on. And you know, it's funny because God always replies, Son, I give you permission to be hopeless about anything that I'm hopeless about. 
So, <laughs> shucks. That takes me right back to what do I believe? What do I believe that is either growing my hope or killing it? You know, if God is not hopeless about any circumstance or situation, then what am I believing that is different from Him? I love Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now, as I said earlier, none of us are experiencing real, true biblical suffering. I mean, maybe you do. You know, I'm not trying to diminish anyone's pain, but I just don't ever hear of anyone being persecuted for their faith. I don't hear of anybody fearing for their life because of their testimony of Jesus. Not here in America. So where does our hopelessness come from? Well, in my life, I believe, and probably most of your lives, I believe it comes from disappointment and discouragement. When we experience disappointment, we start to lose hope. When the things we see online discourage us, social media, you know, what's happening in our culture, it is real easy start losing hope you know when things just don't turn out uh, like we hoped they would our marriage didn't go as planned our children didn't go as planned our job our career didn't turn out as planned our ministry or calling hasn't turned out as planned I believe disappointment and discouragement are the two great hope stealers in our life Remember, faith has us pointed and believing for a specific thing. And we need that. We need faith to point and direct us at a specific thing. But when it doesn't happen the way we planned, hope has to be our safety net. No matter What happens? Hope has to be our safety net. We have to have at the core, the foundation, faith, hope, love, right? The foundation of our life. We have to believe that God is enough. God is enough and he will provide He will come through. I don't know how he's going to do it, but I believe he will. Uh, If God resurrected Jesus from the dead and in the last day he's going to raise us from the dead, then we can have hope for a resurrection of our marriage. We can have hope for a resurrection in our children, a resurrection in our calling, in our vocation. Our health, our believing has to change. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Listen, it is not okay, or it is okay, it is very okay not to know how God will do something or fix it. It's okay. Hope means we just believe he will. That's living hope. I don't know how God is going to fix America. I just believe he will. And when we believe God, the God of hope will do it, then guess what comes with it? Joy and peace. 
tell you what, when we don't have hope, we're not happy people. When you lose your hope, I promise you, you are in turmoil. You are fretting over every little thing that Biden says or does. You're fretting over everything that comes down because I don't have any hope. When the God of hope fills us with hope and we don't even know how he's going to do it, we can experience our joy again, our peace. And guess what? Even if on this side of eternity it doesn't happen, I will still praise him. Peter gave no assurance to his readers that they would see an end to suffering. The only time, the only promise he he gave them was blessed be the God, Father of our Lord Jesus. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The only relief Peter promised these Christians was that one day you will die and you will be resurrected. That's it. He could not promise them you would stop being beaten. I can't promise you that they're going to quit killing you. I can't promise they'll stop raping you. I can't promise that they won't burn you or feed you to wild animals. I can't promise any of that. In fact, it's, it's, you've got grace to do all of those things. What I can promise is that hold on to hope because in the last hour of your life, when you are dead and gone, Jesus will resurrect you. Now, I believe God's not waiting till the end to do some cool stuff in our life. I think he wants to resurrect some things in our lives right now. But where is your hope? Do you have this safety net in place? Close your eyes for just a moment, please. I want you to think about whatever is most disappointing or most discouraging to you right now. What's stealing your hope the most right now? Now, I want you to ask this question. Father, are you hopeless about this situation? Now the answer you should have heard was no. I'm not hopeless. If you heard anything but no, then come see me after service because that's not the voice of God. The Father is not hopeless, which means we have no permission to be hopeless about this thing you're holding on to. So just keep your eyes closed. And now I want you to ask the Father, what lie do I believe about this situation that is stealing my hope? If you have discovered what you believe is the lie, now I want you to ask the Father, what truth do you want to speak to me about this lie?
If you heard something from the Lord, just take a quick moment to write it down. Maybe make a quick note in your phone, because this is important. If you think you might not remember it, just quickly jot it down, make a note in your phone. I know God's healing some of your hearts even right now with that truth. So I'm just going to leave some room just for a moment. Come Holy Spirit. Let the God of hope fill us. I want you to take that truth. I just want you to say it back to the Lord right now. Just just turn it into a, a positive or some kind of I am, I do, I will, I believe. Just speak it right back to him. And then thank him. It doesn't have to be a specific answer. It just has to lead you to believe, to know that God will do what he's going to do. Now, it's very important that this truth this week, that you rehearse it in your mind, that you bring it before God and let the Holy Spirit breathe on it. Because we've got to replace this ingrained lie that's been stealing our hope with some truth. Because who our hope is in is God. Because He's great, greatly merciful with us. He's made us born again to this living hope. I just want to one more time, I just want to... You can stay in your seat, but I want to recite this prayer just one more time. I want to pray this blessing just one more time. So just let's say it together. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Here's what I want you guys to do this week, okay? You need to take a picture, go for it. This next week, you guys, we're gonna we're all reading First Peter. I want us to read chapters three and four. That's what the reading plan is. Please don't forget your scripture memory verse, Matthew five thirteen. Don't forget your discipleship group, dads, remember. Pull your family together this week and talk about our here journal. But here's what else I want you to do this week. In your, your time with God this week, I want you to write down about three or to five more disappointments or discouragements. It can be personal. It can be about issues in our nation. It, it, just whatever you identify as stealing hope. And then I want you, with each one of those, I want you to write down the lie you believe about that disappointment or discouragement. And then just like we did here, I want you to bring it to the Father and ask the Father for a truth to combat that lie and then write down what that truth is. And of course, I want you to bless God in every situation, every circumstance. Let praise be on your lips. And I'll just offer that if you were struggling today to hear God's voice concerning truth, just felt like I couldn't hear and I've got some, it's really heavy, this lie, then I want you to just please see someone on our emotional healing team to get some help. You can go to our website and request an emotional healing session. 
Just click the button, it'll take you to the form to fill out an initial questionnaire. Sometimes we need hope. We need hope help. We need someone walking beside us, helping us to see where hope is. So will you do that this week? Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your blessing of hope. God, we bless you. God of hope, come fill us with all hope. Fill us with joy. Fill us with peace. As we combat our discouragement and our disappointment this week, God, we're asking that you would come and encounter us with the living hope that you made a way for us through Jesus Christ. He who has the most hope has the most influence. If something is going to change, someone has to have hope. So we bless you, God. It's a foundation stone of our our walk with you, faith, hope, and love. So we thank you for this word. We thank you for what Peter had to say to those first Christians and what he's saying to us, God. Bless our hearts to walk in this, to live it out in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. You have an amazing week.